Our solar system is a wondrous place with a single star, our sun, and everything that orbits around it, planets, moons, asteroids, and comets. What do we know about this beautiful solar system we call home? It's part of an even larger cosmos with billions of other solar systems. Hi, I'm Jim Green, Director of Planetary Science at NASA, and this is Gravity Assist. I'm here at JPL, the fabulous place in Pasadena, California, that make a lot of dreams happen, and they do some remarkable missions. And one of the missions going to Mars that we want to talk about is the InSight mission. And I'm here with Bruce Bannert, the principal investigator for NASA's InSight mission. Welcome, Bruce. You know, one of the neat little things that uh, you have, and that is a, a name, Bruce Bannert, and isn't that the Hulk? It is. It is the Hulk. And, and I just have to tell you, don't make me mad. I mean, <laughs> you, you can ask me about it, but just be careful here. <laughs> All right. I understand that completely. And I don't plan on doing that. What does INSIGHT stand for? It's an acronym, just like everything else NASA does seems yeah. to be. So INSIGHT stands for Interior Exploration Using Seismic Investigations, Geodesy, and Heat Transport. And if you put the, the, the capitals and the lower cases together right, you get INSIGHT. All right. That sounds cool. Well, a couple parts to that we want to really tease out. Seismic investigation. You know, what is that all about? What does that mean? Well, seismic investigation is, is, is really the heart of this mission. Uh, seismology is the, the method that we've used to gain almost everything we know, all the, the basic information about the interior of the Earth. And we also used it uh, back during the Apollo era to, to understand and to, to measure sort of the properties of the inside of the moon. And so we want to apply the same techniques, uh, which use the, the waves that are generated by Mars quakes, uh, by meteorite impacts, uh, to probe deep into the interior of Mars, all the way down to its core. You know, that's a fascinating concept. You would have thought that we've had seismometers on Mars before. You know, why is it taking us so long? Well, we did send seismometers once before, back during Viking, uh, but it was kind of an afterthought on that mission, which was mostly focused on, on, on looking for life on Mars. And so uh, it was like uh, it was attached to the top of the, the, the deck, and they didn't have the resources to have some method of putting it onto the surface. And, you know, it was just sort of uh, a shot at the buzzer, seeing if they could get something. But since, since the seismometer's on the deck and it's trying to measure very subtle vibrations on the ground, um, it wasn't very sensitive, and uh, it, over the course of the mission, mostly what it uh, measured was just the wind blowing the spacecraft around. So we really haven't had what I would consider a, a top-notch seismic investigation of the planet. Okay, I understand that part of it. In fact, what it did tell us is what not to do, right? right? And, yeah. and what we had to do. And so that means the the seismic system that's going to be on InSight is is really well prepared in that you're going to have to move it to the to the ground and you're going to have to protect it from the wind and so how are you going to do that well, we've put a lot of thought into it, as, as, as you can imagine. I mean, on the Earth, you put a seismometer kind of in the basement of a building in a vault, and you uh, keep the temperature really constant, and you don't have any any uh, air moving through and, and so forth. On Mars, we're putting it out on the surface in a really harsh environment. And so what we've done is we put a robotic arm on the spacecraft, first of all, that'll pick it up off the deck, move it out in front of the spacecraft, about two meters away from the spacecraft, and put it down in a place that we that we find that has no rocks, uh, no holes, so, so that it's nice and stable. Once it's out there, it already has built into it 
two different layers of, of, of protection. It's inside a, a spheroidal uh, enclosure that has a very hard vacuum, so it's like being inside a thermos bottle. Um, and then we have uh, around that uh, some thermal blanketing that uh, 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 protects it some more from, from the temperature. But once it's on the surface, we go back with our robotic arm and pick up what we call our wind and thermal shield, which is like a big upside down walk with uh, a curtain next to the, on, on the sides. We put it over the seismometer. It's actually got some chain mail around the bottom that, that'll drape over rocks and kind of seal the bottom against the wind blowing in underneath. And so at, at that point, the seismometer is pretty well protected from the elements, although it's still gonna uh, experience that, that huge temperature variation that Mars sees from day to night. You know, the, these instruments, these seismic instruments that you're gonna put on Mars, I think they're the most sensitive seismic instruments ever made. Well, that's not quite true. I mean, no. there's, there's some that on the Earth that are a little bit more sensitive, especially at, at, at long periods, you know, with, 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 when, when waves are, uh, have periods that are, are, you know, hundreds of seconds long, you know, long rolling waves. That's really difficult to do, and, and it takes some fairly, you know, heavy electronics and, and, and heavier uh, mechanical systems. But in terms of the, uh, the, the sensitivity of a small seismometer, a portable seismometer, uh, these really are, you know, what, well, I was going to say world class, but obviously they're solar system class. How many quakes do you expect to get? Well, we've done a lot of analysis on that, and the, the, the short answer is we don't really know. But, of course, being scientists, we got to try to figure it out. And so we've looked at Mars. Uh, Mars is crisscrossed by faults, and uh, we can kind of uh, date, you know, uh, find out how old a lot of those faults are. We can measure about how much displacement has been on those faults and figure out how many quakes that took. And so we can chart out sort of the amount of seismic activity over the life of the planet. And some of these faults go back billions of years and we extrapolate that rate to the present. And of course it's dying off with time as Mars cools down. And when we extrapolate it to the present, you come up with a, 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 a level of activity, you know, of a frequency of occurrence that gives us an idea that we'll probably see somewhere around 50 quakes during the course of our mission. Of course, that could be off by quite a bit, but we have a, a reasonable confidence that we should see something, you know, between maybe 20 and 100 quakes over the two-year life of this mission. You know, we're sitting out here in California, and, and it sometimes quakes. And so uh, uh, what are the kind of things that you can do that would compare the data that we get here on Earth with those on Mars? Well, I mean, when, when you feel a quake, I mean, that's a, a lot of motion, right? I mean, sometimes it's enough to, to, to shake your house down. What we're actually looking for on Mars are, are not the ones that are going to, you know, knock the spacecraft over. We're looking at quakes that happened on the other side of the planet because what we really want to see are waves that radiate out from these quakes and pass through the deep interior of the planet and then come back up and are then sensed by our seismometers. So it's like, you know, in California, we have seismometers that routinely pick up quakes that happen in Japan, that happen in, in India and the Middle East. Uh, and we use those quakes, use the, the waves from those quakes to probe the deep interior. So you got waves, they start out at the quake and then they pass through the, the, the rocks of the earth. And as they pass through those rocks, 
they change their character depending on the, the, the properties of the rocks. Uh, we, we th you can think of it as, as kind of picking up information as the waves travel through. And then once we uh, uh, sense them with our seismometer and, and you make those wiggly plots you've seen of, of seismograms, we have techniques to take those wiggles and analyze them, the shape of the wiggles, uh, their frequency, their amplitude, their timing, and sort of pull out that information and start putting together a picture of the inside. I mean, we, th we think of sometimes as, as, as quakes as being like little flash bulbs that go off and they illuminate the interior and our seismometer is, is, is the, the camera that picks up the reflected uh, energy and over time we can use that to put together kind of a 3D picture of the inside of the planet. Well, you know, as you say, we are scientists and so we always have our own models. So we must have some sort of model of the structure of Mars that, that the seismic information will really uh, straighten us out. What's, what's Mars' structure like? Well, all the terrestrial planets, all the rocky planets, have a, a similar structure, and we know that from, from gravity measurements, from measurements of, of their dynamics and so forth, and we know that the, the, the planets have a, a very dense metallic core, mostly iron and nickel, uh, surrounded by a mantle of very dense silicate rocks um, with, a, with a high density because of the pressure that they're under. Uh, and then it's surrounded by a crust of the kinds of rocks that you know you can pick up in your backyard. Uh, uh, and those rocks have a, a lower density, and they, uh, in fact, probably floated to the surface uh, early in the, in, the, in the planet's history. And so we have a, a more or less three-layer system, you know, core, mantle, and crust uh, of differing properties. What's really cr critical is understanding the details of that structure. You know, what's the size of the core? Is it pure iron? Does it have other elements in it like sulfur or carbon? Um, uh, what's the, the structure of the mantle? Does it have uh, mostly uh, iron silicates or is, it, is there more magnesium in there? Uh, that turns out to be a critical parameter. And then the crust, you know, how thick is the crust? Uh, what, what is, what's the, the, the mineralogical uh, composition of the crust? And how much of the radioactive material in the original uh, uh, chondritic dust that made up the planets, how much of that has been moved into the crust through the process of differentiation? Uh, that, that, that process tends to, to concentrate the radioactive materials, and that has a big effect on the heat flow, on the thermal state of the interior, and on you know, things like volcanism and tectonism. Well, you know, here on Earth, we, we believe we have uh, aspects of a liquid core. Uh, is that true on Mars, and can, uh, can SICE be able to tell us if that core is solid or liquid? Well, we have uh, data from orbital measurements that indicates that the core, at least the outer part of the core, is probably liquid. I mean, we can see the, the, by the, the variation of the planet's rotation uh, under the, the, the influence of the sun's tides that is probably liquid. Uh, InSight will be able to tell for certain whether it's liquid or solid by looking at the waves that travel through the core. It'll, uh, liquids can support P waves, the compressional waves in, 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 uh, in earthquake waves, but it can't support S waves, shear waves, because those require uh, a bending stresses, which, which you can't have in a liquid. So we'll be able to tell for sure whether the outer core is liquid. Whether there's a solid inner core like the Earth, 
that's a tough thing to, to figure out. If we, if we stay there long enough and we get enough really good data, we might start to be able to see all the way deep into the center of the core to see whether that's, uh, it's solidified in the center or not. You know, one of the things that you mentioned that really struck me is, uh, you know, the planet is cooling. You know, all, all our planets are still in the process of cooling off. It's like, you, you know, they were baked in an oven, you pull them out and, and, and the cake is still cooling off. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so that means we need to measure its heat flow. And that's, you have another fantastic instrument on InSight that does that. That's right. And and the, the heat flow from a planet is is really a measure of, you know, the the the, the energy that's driving the, the geology of the planet. So if you see mountains, if you see giant valleys that are formed by rifts or or volcanoes, those are all being driven by the, the heat flow of the planet, as well as fault activity. Uh, the plate tectonics on the Earth is driven by the Earth's heat engine. So the heat is coming up from the, 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 the deep interior, driving these motions, and then being radiated out to space. So we know that Mars does not have plate tectonics. We can see that because there's no evidence of that kind of uh, fault, uh, faulting on, on the surface. But we also know that it is radiating heat. It's got a, a history of volcanism, and it does have many faults on the surface, uh, even though they're not organized in, as, as plate boundaries. And that, those, that faulting is, we think, mostly driven by the contraction of the planet. As, as the heat flows out of the planet, it contracts just like anything as it cools off contracts. And as it contracts, it crumples a little bit. And that crumpling is, uh, is manifested in uh, quakes and seismic activity. So this instrument is called HP3? Yeah, it's called the HP3, which stands for the Heat Flow and Physical Properties Package. Uh, and it's, it's, a, it's a really kind of an interesting and, and cool uh, uh, instrument because it has a little torpedo about uh, a, a foot and a half long and about an inch in diameter. Uh, and it, it has inside a, a hammer. It's a kind of a hammer. It, it has a motor that uh, winds up a mass on a sort of a helical uh, a track and pulls it up against a very stiff spring and it gets to the top and lets go and goes pow down against the nose of it. And it knocks itself down into the soil just a few millimeters at a time, bang, bang, bang. Uh, and it does that about 10,000 times and can burrow down up to five meters deep into the, the below the Martian surface. Now, of course, that's on the deck originally and you've got to use the arm and pick it up and Situate it. That's right. That's our that's our our third deployment activity with the robotic arm. Yeah, the, the arm has like three main jobs. It has to get the seismometer on there, has to put the cover on the seismometer, and then it goes back and gets the heat flow probe. And because we're we have to do things really carefully and get it right the first time, it's gonna take us a couple months to go through that whole process. Well, what's really neat, as you say, this hammer as it operates, is the seismic instrument on during that time period? It is gonna be on during that time period. And, and this isn't, you know, one of the it's this isn't the, the, the main uh, goal of the mission, but it's really cool because those, those seismic waves from the hammer knocking into the soil, they're going to go uh, bouncing around underneath the surface. And we will probably be able to like see what kind of layering there is in the top you know, uh, 20, 30, maybe even 50 feet of, of the Martian surface. We think there's actually a more or less hard lava flows beneath this, this uh, uh, layer of, of kind of broken up uh, uh, soil and, and gravel on, on, on Mars, and we should be able to get reflections off that and see whether it's even even more solid at depth, and, and that should be really interesting for, for people. And it's, it's actually kind of interesting when we think about uh, astronauts going to Mars in, in, in the future because, um, you know, building things on sand is, is, is not the smartest way to, get to go about, you know, putting up buildings and stuff, so we'd like to understand kind of 
what the strength is of the, the, the Martian regolith so that when we do send people there, we'll know what kind of uh, geotechnical uh, techniques to use to, to, to make structures. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the kind of measurements that you make just in those two areas could be very important for human exploration of Mars in the future. Mm -hmm. But you're not done. You've got other instruments on InSight. Oh, that's right. I mean, well, well, well. first of all, you know, once we burrow down, you know, what that heat flow uh, uh, package does is the actual instrument isn't in the in the torpedo. The actual instrument is in the cable that connects it back up to the surface. And, and every uh, couple feet along that cable, we have a little temperature sensor. And that those temperature sensors uh, measure not only what the, the temperature is underneath the surface, but it's measuring how much the temperature is increasing as you go down. Down. And it's only increasing by, you know, hundreds of a degree, but we measure it very precisely and we can extrapolate that increase in temperature down deep into the planet. And that's how we actually understand how much heat is coming out of the planet. So then in, in addition to uh, HP3 and the seismic instrument, SICE, you have... Um uh, wind measurements that you make, cameras. Yeah, we've got uh, a whole meteorological package. It measures the wind, the speed, and the direction of the wind. It also measures uh, pressure variations, so it's a, you know sort of a barometric uh, experiment as well, plus the temperature of the of the atmosphere. So we have a sort of a complete weather package on there that was will be running you know 24.6 hours a day. Uh, and all, Which all through is the, the length year. of the Mars Day. That's right. <laughs> and we'll, we're, we're planning to put up a, a page on the internet with this sort of, you know, weather on Mars, you know, sort of like weather.com except for Mars, and you'll be able to see, you know, what, what the weather was like on Mars yesterday. Uh, I don't think we're going to be predicting very much, but, you know, we, at least being able to tell what the weather's like, that's going to be some, something cool. Well, one of the things you told me just a little while ago that I was really excited about is the, is the app on your phone. That you can that you you guys are thinking of pulling together. Yeah, we're trying to put together uh, a Marsquake app. You know, the 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 USGS has has an app that that'll you know it'll uh, buzz you when there's a there's a, a an earthquake that's happened somewhere in, on the planet. You can go and and check it out. Uh, we're going to do the same thing for Mars. We're going to have uh, a Marsquake app. So you know it's running on your phone and it starts buzzing in your pocket. And you pick it up and it says, oh, there was a a Marsquake out in uh, Tharsis uh, Plateau yesterday. And and uh, check it out. You know, so we hope to, to be able to, to get that. It's not going to be in real time because it takes a couple of days to get the data down. But as soon as we get it on the servers, it's going to go uh, out to, to, the, to the public, and that should be a lot of fun. Well, you know, you mentioned also that the quakes could be from impacts. Uh, yeah, so when a meteorite hits, hits, hits Mars, it's going to make a, a pretty big seismic uh, uh, signature. Um, we can have pretty small impacts because the Martian atmosphere is so thin. Even you know things you know the size of a golf ball are going to come in and and make a crater. And if it's close enough to, to to Insight, we'll be able to pick those up. And the cool thing about that is once we've gotten an, an impact uh, event on our seismometer, we can uh, go back and talk to uh, the. MRO uh, orbiting spacecraft and the high-resolution, high-rise camera and say, hey, go check out this area here. We've got a, 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 an impact that happened, you know, somewhere within, you know, maybe 10 kilometers of this place. Go see if you can see anything new there. And, you know, they've already kind of blanketed the area around InSight with uh, before pictures, and they'll go and, and do the after pictures and see whether they can see a new crater. And if they can do that, 
that actually helps us a lot too because then we know exactly where it was and then we can use all the information from the uh, seismogram to look at the interior and not not kind of waste some of it on figuring out where the Mars quake was. Yeah, no, that sounds spectacular. That's um, That's got so many dimensions about it that are really uh, fundamental planetary science and uh, uh, the ability to get this data and then compare it with Earth. Um, I think is, uh, is really revolutionary and, and tells us a lot about how these planets are built. Uh, the fact that Mars is smaller than Earth might have been put together a little differently. You know, the core might be a different uh, ratio in terms of its size than the Earth's core. Mm-hmm. You know, and so um, uh, set, settling some of these uh, uh, questions can really help us on, on how, um, how our solar system was formed. Well, it's coming up, the launch. Where are you launching from? We're launching from Vandenberg, California, which is a first for planetary launches. All the other launches to the planets have gone off from Florida. Um, we're in kind of a unique uh, situation in that we have a, a relatively small spacecraft that was designed for a relatively small rocket, and those small rockets aren't available anymore. They, they've kind of gone out of gone out of production, and so we are on a, an Atlas V rocket, which has about twice as much capability to go into space as as the, the Delta II that uh, our spacecraft uh, that when, when when it was Phoenix was originally designed for. So instead of having to go to Florida and and using the Earth's rotation to help slingshot us into orbit, we don't have to, to use that. We can blast our way straight out you know, into a polar orbit. Uh, by moving to California, that kind of took some of the pressure off, off of the traffic jam they tend to have over in, in, uh, uh, in Kennedy Space Center. Lots of rockets trying to go off there. We were able to, to relieve them of some of the pressure. Plus, um, we get to, to launch in a way that is going to be visible to maybe 10 million people in Southern California because this rocket is going to go right by LA, right by San Diego, and uh, if people are willing to get up at four o'clock in the morning, uh, they should see a, a pretty cool light show that day. Yeah, May the fifth coming up. That's Cinco de Mayo. That's right. So uh, May the fifth, it launches. That's right. Goes straight south, mm-hmm. goes under the South Pole, and then takes this mean left turn on its way to That's Mars. That's right. So when does it get there? Um, it gets there on November 26th, which is uh, Cyber Monday, right after Thanksgiving. And that's that's true whether we launch right at the beginning of our, our launch period or later on if there's a, a weather delay or some kind of a, an issue with the rocket. Um, whenever we launch over the five weeks that we have uh, uh, available to us, it's going to get to Mars on that same day. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, I'm going to be celebrating both the launch and the landing. You better believe I will, too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of the things that I ask all the guests that come on this uh, podcast is really about their gravity assist. You know, gravity assist is a planetary term, but in reality, um, uh, people, places, and things that affect our ability to think about what we're going to do and how we're going to do it, what we're going to do when we grow up, that's a gravity assist. So what was your gravity assist that got you on a direction to become the scientist you are today, Bruce? Uh, My gravity assist was the Mercury program. Okay, when I was when I was five years old, uh, Scott Carpenter was was blasted into space on top of uh, what looks today like a tiny little rocket. And um, my mother insists that I only learned to read so that I could read the newspaper articles about the Mercury program. And I was just completely fascinated and completely entranced by the idea of 
people going into space. And, and so I was just, I, I just followed the, the, the space program and I wanted to be a space scientist someday. Well, I wanted to be an astronaut, which we all thought was exactly the same thing as a space scientist. It's not quite, but close rocket enough. Rocket scientists. <laughs> yeah, we called rocket scientists. And, and, and of course, by the time I got to high school, I kind of gave up on that as, as, as a dream that, that, that could never come true. And I went to college and I studied physics and then I decided to kind of go into geophysics. And then when I went to graduate school at Penn State, um, by some wild coincidence, uh, one of the other grad students was a, a Caltech grad who had worked at JPL for a couple years before getting his PhD. And we got to be friends. And he said, oh, you know, the, the Viking mission is going to Mars next summer. And uh, I know a couple of uh, scientists there that are looking for summer interns. You ought to, you ought to apply. And I thought... <laughs> I could apply to that. I could actually go and actually work on something in space. So um, I applied and I got selected and, and I went to JPL for the summer. And um, then I went back to, to Penn State at the end of the summer. And again, one of those wild coincidences, my graduate advisor got a job at a university back in California and invited me to come back with him. And I went to JPL and I said, can I work here part time while I'm working on my PhD? And they said, sure. And I grabbed onto JPL and I, I never let go. This is the only <laughs> job I've ever had in my life okay. other than working in the in the tire shop during the summertime. So um, that's that's my gravity assist. It's like, you know, I've always wanted to work in space. I, I sort of lost the faith for a while and wandered in the wilderness. But uh, by by luck and, 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 and uh, uh, being at the right place at the right time, you know, here I am today. Yeah, sometimes it takes several gravity assists to get yeah, us uh, that's in right. the right direction. Yeah, indeed. Well, it's really been a delight, Bruce. I thank you so much for coming on and telling us all about Insight. Well, I, I don't like talking about anything more than Insight except maybe my kids. So <laughs> this has been fun. Thank you. Well, until next time, this is Jim Green, and this has been your Gravity Assist. <laughs>